We are studying through the Bible and we happen to be in Mark chapter 10. We only got through the first 30 verses on Wednesday and hopefully we'll finish up the chapter on Wednesday. Uh, but I draw your attention to Mark chapter 10 for our topical uh, section of the gospel of Mark here. A poem called Nothing. Blessed be nothing. Remarked the wise sage, be glad if you've nothing in this day and age, for nothing is something that cannot be stole nor dropped from your pocket nor pocket's small hole. Nothing is something the bank cannot lose, the creditors seize or burglars abuse. Folks who have nothing really should love it, for nothing is something the neighbors won't covet. Nothing is something that won't collect dust. You don't have to hide it nor protect it from rust. So if you have nothing, be glad. Sing a song, for when leaving this earth, you can take it along. <laughs> I like that. Um, one of the things Mark chapter 10, uh, we looked at last weekend was wealth and riches and the, the you know, dangers that are associated with that. We looked at that last Sunday and um, and um, really one of the things about the wealth of, uh, of our, you know, the way we live here as Americans, um, one of the things that makes me concerned is you can be financially wealthy, but you can be spiritually in poverty. In fact, we uh, have, the Bible teaches us that we as just human beings in our human nature, we have spiritual deficiencies. And, um, and Mark chapter 10 kind of points out two of them that I think are worth discussion. Um, the first spiritual deficiency is that um, we can be in spiritual poverty. Uh, even though you might think you're rich, you can be actually really poor. You know, the Bible asks you and me rhetorically, you know, um, are you rich toward God or rich in Christ? Um, like these are things you have to ask yourself because a lot of us are concerned about are we rich with dollars? But we don't ask ourselves, are we rich in a spiritual way, which is the one that matters more. Um, in fact, um, in the earlier part of this chapter, we studied last week, of course, Mark chapter 10, verse 25, when Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. <coughs> the Bible warns us, uh, you know, about the love of money, which is the root of all evil, and the deceitful nature of wealth. Uh, and uh, remember this parable, the sower of the seeds, and there were the different kinds of so, uh, soil, and, um, and some seed just got, you know, trampled. Some birds of the air came and plucked out the seed. But one of the seeds was picked up um, or crushed out by the thorny ground. You know, remember the thorns came and choked out the good seed? Um, but I think we, we know that, that that thorny ground was the cares of this world. But in Mark's gospel, chapter four, in fact, I'll just show you, Mark four nineteen, Jesus talks about that. He says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. We kind of don't notice that part and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. How do you make the word of God unfruitful in your life? Um, the deceitful uh, nature of riches and wealth. Um, and that's why I think our culture as Americans, as we are all so wealthy, um, we tend to kind of let the word of God be choked out uh, and lusts of other things enter in and choke out the word of God. There's an illustration of that in the book of Revelation. When Jesus uh, there gives that word to the you know, seven churches of Asia Minor, 
and uh, kind of gives the, the you know, commendations, but he also passes out the corrections. And uh, one of the five churches that got kind of hammered by Jesus, in fact, maybe one of the worst churches, uh, the most um, pointed language Jesus used was against the church of Laodicea. There in uh, Revelation chapter three, uh, it's interesting, you know, um, uh, Jesus said about Laodicea, I know your good works, he said to them. Uh, that you're neither hot or cold though, uh, and you're lukewarm. And he said, I'd rather spew you out of my mouth. What, what, what's the word spew? Well, if you look it up in the Greek, it's literally vomit. How do you become God's vomit? Um, you become a, a, a church that uh, maybe has works that we're doing, you know, we're doing good deeds, but we're neither hot nor cold toward the Lord and our relationship has gone lukewarm. We have this lukewarm sort of attitude and the Lord says, That's, you're pretty much vomit when you get to that point. But what's interesting, what was the condition that makes Jesus say that he wants to vomit that church out of his mouth? Well, it's Revelation chapter three, verse 17, that says, because you say I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, this is that paradox. You say I am rich, but you're actually poor and wretched, miserable and blind and naked. Uh, thinking they were rich with their material wealth, they were actually in a total depth of spiritual poverty. King David recognized his poverty. Was King David a poor guy? No, if you know David, he, he's the one who set up Solomon to be the wealthiest king in the history of the world. Um, and it was mostly due to David's you know, military exploits that he gained so much gold and silver and wealth and all that stuff. But David, when he was writing one of the Psalms, he said this, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. David, even the king, recognized his own poverty. This poor man, he said. Um, we can be poor and we can also be blind like the church at Laodicea if we're not careful. But the opposite, if you wanna sort of A, B, the churches of Revelation 2 and 3 um, is the church of Smyrna. Smyrna is an interesting place. It's where they harvested you know, myrrh and they packaged it and sold it and sent it all over the world in, from Smyrna. And uh, you know, it's where you get that myrrh that uh, if you crush it, it puts out this beautiful fragrance. Um, but it's interesting what a, what a picture it is for the church because they were the crushed, persecuted church. Uh, but a beautiful fragrance came from them. So Jesus, when he talks to the church at Smyrna, he has no correction, no, you know, he doesn't slam the church at Smyrna, but he, he only gives them words of comfort and commendation. Um, but listen to what Jesus said to the, work, uh, the people of Smyrna in Revelation 2, 9, very opposite of Laodicea. He said, I know thy works and your tribulation and poverty, but he says parenthetically, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Um, you know, these people that uh, were persecuting the church at Smyrna. Um, but what, a, what a, a different kind of paradox. This time they're, they're, they're extremely poor in their finances, but he says, but you're actually really rich. Isn't that interesting? How do, can we who are spirit, uh, physically rich become, be so spiritually poor uh, how can we also be spiritually blind? Um, that's the problem with the church at Laodicea. Um, I found the persecuted church 
it seems that the Lord tends to purify through that fiery trial of persecution. You see that historically, that the persecuted church lines would be drawn. And if you're gonna be a, a, you know, one who risks all and is a part of the church of Jesus Christ, it kind of makes you clean up your act and you have to kind of choose. Are you gonna be a radical follower of Jesus? Or are you gonna compromise and just try to half hang with the world and half hang with the Lord? Um, the persecution issue sort of solves that. I wonder if that's coming. I wonder if that persecution is coming to the church. I think it very likely is. We did a whole prophecy update that on that a week ago Friday. If you missed that, we're talking about coming persecution. But um, you know, in our back to our issues, we have spiritual poverty, but we also have spiritual blindness. Um, what does spiritual blindness look like? It's it's a a, a problem where Christians uh, who once you know maybe saw a little better, it's like our eyes get dimmer and we start to see things wrongly or even blindly. We miss stuff, um, and the world does this too. Um, does it seem like the world is becoming more blind to what is true? Blindness. Um, do you ever wonder how the world can view the things as okay? Like, a, how, where does it, what, what does it take for a person? Uh, like a you know, suburban mother who lives you know, in uh, Canby uh, or Newburgh, how can a, a person like that get to a place where she thinks a, a drag queen show is wonderful, a guy's dressed scantily clad and grotesque kind of looks and, and, and then have their children run up and put dollars, you know, in like a, like a stripper. Store. How, how can a, a normal person sort of act like that's okay or even to be celebrated? Um, you know, how, could, how can people think it's okay to pridefully march, you know, and, and show the pride of their own sins? And, and you know, how does a culture get that way? It, it didn't happen overnight. That, that blinding of our culture has happened slowly but surely. If you're as old as I am or older, you've seen a very slow progression. And they got inch by inch more and more normalcy and acceptance and they just, you know, and some people say, well, isn't that wonderful? Finally, people are accepting it. Um, the problem is uh, we've always seen that as sinful in the last several thousand years up until the last 20. Uh, we've started to really cave and we've become a blind culture to what the Bible actually calls evil. When you see the big long alphabet of the LGBTQA plus two or whatever, um, uh, you have to understand just instead of just acknowledging those as legitimate things, you have to look at all of those things and say, that is what the Bible calls um, sexual immorality. Uh, fornication is the Greek word for, uh, the, that we get from porneia. Uh, which is a um, you know kind of a pornographic sexually uh, problem you know sinful thing. How is it that we we've, we've embraced that as a culture? Sin, by the way, does that. The more we in, engage in sin, the more blind we become to it. You become desensitized, and before long, once you thought something was wrong, suddenly uh, you think it's okay. How does that happen? Slowly but surely. I think Samson is a good example of that. In Judges chapter 13 through 16, that, that story of Samson. Samson's the poster child of slow but sure uh, falling away uh, and his eyes being blinded. Yeah, he got blinded, but before he was physically blinded, he was spiritually blinded. What happened to Samson? You know, he was born in a you know, godly family. Uh, his parents were godly people. And they set him aside with a Nazarite vow where he would be set aside for the Lord, not to you know, uh, touch any dead thing, not to drink wine or even be close to a vineyard. That was the Nazarite vow. Um, and to uh, never let a, a razor come to his hair. He let his hair grow. 
And so when Samson was, um, you know, getting older, he started just dabbling with little, little just tiny breaches of those, those conditions. Um, we see him walking through a vineyard, which he's not supposed to do in the Bible. Ah, oh, come on, what's the big deal of walking through? Well, when you're walking through the vineyard, that's when things really start. In fact, it was when he was walking through the vineyard, the lion came up to him and uh, was gonna, you know, eat him. The problem is Samson was Marvel Comics level strong. Uh, he was huge, like biblically, uh, like if you like Marvel and Superman and all that stuff, there's Bible stories that are real. This guy, Samson, could do superhuman, uh, supernatural level st- uh, feats of strength. It was incredible. Um, but when he gets a lion, he just kind of grabs a lion, rips it in half and throws its carcass off to the side. The whole lion in half. Um, that's how strong he was. So, you know, he just goes along. Well, a few days later, he goes back through the same vineyard and he's wondering, I wonder what that lion looks like, like a week of de- decomposition. Now, some of you, probably the, uh, I could say which gender, but that's probably not popular. Some of you are like, why would anybody go look at the gross carcass of a lion? Well, a lot of the guys in here would say, I, I would like to see that. A week's of maggots and decay. Uh, see how bad it stinks? That's great. Awesome. Well, that's what Samson does. Hey, I'm gonna go see this lion. What, what's, what's become of the carpet? And he goes in there and he finds a, 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 you know, this beehive of honey. And he reaches into the dead carcass of the lion. Now he's not only walking through vineyards, now he's reaching into the dead carcass, which he's not supposed to touch any dead thing as a Nazarite. You know, strike two. Um, and he just keeps, and then he's partying with the Philistines. Now he's sleeping around with prostitutes all over the land of the Philistines. Like he's, Samson just kind of slowly but surely and spiritually more and more blind to what God actually had for him to do. Um, it's really sad because, you know, some of the judges of Israel judged for over 50 years. Samson only got 20 years. What, what cut his, you know, leadership short wasn't his strength. It was his sin, just allowing sin to creep into his life. And, and he got more and more blind. So blind was he, but by the time, you know, after a few attempts to find the secret of the strength of Samson, Delilah the prostitute, he's in her house, sleeping in her bed, and she lulls him to sleep, and she finally woos him to sleep and figures out that it's cutting his hair. That's the secret. But Samson, don't you think, you know, he was either just a total nincompoop and was stupid, but I don't believe that. I think he thought he was the guy getting away with it man, I already walked through the vineyard. I already touched that thing. I've been kind of messing around with girls. I'm girl crazy, whatever. God still give me strength. So I must be the exception to the rule. Same mistake we all make. But there in Numbers 23, 32, it says, you know, uh, be sure of this. Your sin will find you out. Well, Samson's there and he tells her, you know, about the hair thing. And so she cuts his hair and she, she cries out, you know, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke out of sleep, the Bible says there in Samson 16, 20. Uh, and he jumped up and he said, I will shake myself as before, which means he's gonna bust a move and kill all the Philistines. Uh, and he was getting ready to do that when suddenly it says, the, but he did not know, this is that blind part. He, the King James says, he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. The Lord had departed from him. That's a sad thing because when does the Lord depart from someone? I mean, the spirit of the Lord was upon Samson, but he just kept letting sin in his life. And that's where the physical thing came. You know, by the way, um, your iniquities, Isaiah 59, two, separate you from you and your God, um, that he will not hear you. Uh, but the Philistines come in and Judges chapter 16, verse 21 says, but the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. They poked out his eyeballs. 
and brought him down to Gaza, the same place today where you're on the news, the Gaza Strip, same place. Um, and they bound him with chains and fetters and brass. And then he did grind at the prison wheel there, uh, grinding day in and out. Uh, for you mom and dads who are looking for good family devo, uh, you know, devo material, that's a great story. Teach your kids the lessons of Samson, they're important. And it's even alliterated or uh, rhyming. Uh, sin blinds, it grinds, and it binds. Those are the three things that Samson ends up uh, having. Um, and and the, that's the problem. If we're not careful, we allow sin in our lives and it only causes our eyesight to go bad. You older people know what this is like. I remember when I turned 42, years ago now. <laughs> um, when I turned 42, I was doing some work with my Bible in the afternoon, I was reading, and I write my little tiny notes in here, the little microscopic notes, and I always was sort of like, yeah, I can write pretty small, I'll check out my notes, you know. Um, now I can't see them. I don't even know if, <laughs> I don't even know if there's notes on the page anymore. I remember that afternoon, I was studying the Bible, and I was like, um, man, I, I was like, oh, man, I must be really tired today. Uh, nope, I was just getting old. Uh, I learned it in one afternoon. Uh, you know what happens, this is what happened to you young people. As soon as you start reaching your arm out like this, <laughs> you'll know you're officially old. Um, that's, that's what happens. Um, but the same thing happens spiritually where you, you, you kind of, man, I just don't, I don't see that as evil anymore. I don't see that, what's wrong with that. And I, I'm gonna listen to what the world has to say. So, so really this idea of blinding, um, we should be careful about spiritual blindness. Well, that brings us to our text here because um, we have a, a guy, blind Bartimaeus. This is a famous scripture. Let's take a look. And I think we can learn from this guy. You say, Brett, he's physically blind. We're, we might have that problem of spiritual blindness. What does this have to do with us? Well, the same thing he does is the same thing you and I need to do with our spiritual blindness. Uh, we can learn from the blind man, blind Bartimaeus. It's Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It says, and they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho, quick, quick trip there to Jericho, in and out. Maybe he went to In-N-Out Burger, I don't know. <laughs> they came into Jericho and went out of Jericho. But on his way out with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. So he's not only a blind man, but he's a blind beggar. And verse seven, when, 47, when Jesus, when he heard that, it, uh, pardon me, the blind man, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace and be, and, but he cried out the more, a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they Call the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Great story of blind Bartimaeus. Uh, there's some observations that I'd like to show you that where the, the help for this man came from. And this, he, we need the same help. We're the blind spiritually. We're the blind uh, that needs help. Same as this guy, blind beggar. Uh, spiritually poor, spiritually blind, same thing. Um, and I wanna point out six main things. First of all, I wanna show you how his faith came by hearing. His faith came by hearing. Don't you think it's a 
you know, we can fairly risk conjecture that he did not get his faith by seeing. He was a blind man. So I think that's important because so many of us wanna have faith. I'll believe if I can see it. Remember Thomas who says, well, I'll believe Jesus rose from the grave if I can put my finger in the hole. We talked about that last week and, and Jesus appeared and said, okay, Thomas, uh, put your finger in the hole in my hand. And Thomas is like, oh, my Lord, my God. And, um, and then Jesus says, Thomas, you know, it's, it's, you're more blessed if you can believe without seeing. Um, but this guy's a blind man. So he, he wasn't able to see all the miracles with his own eyes. Um, so where did his faith come? Well, Brett, how do we know he had faith? We know that uh, from verse 52. As um, Jesus said, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So we can know that this guy had faith. Where did he get the faith? Well, he didn't get it by seeing, so I think he got it where the Bible tells, we, tells us where we get our faith. Faith comes by hearing. hearing. Um, faith comes by hearing, and that's the whole thing. Um, you know, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 is that key verse of the Bible that teaches, if you're lacking faith, what do you do? Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is to hear God's word, that's what builds up faith, uh, which is a key. That's why the Christian church needs to be in the word of God, not in motivational speaking. We need to be in the word of God and, and covering some ground scripturally. Um, and it's important you know, to, to make the Bible kind of the, the uh, main thing that we talk about. Well, Brett, you're speaking. Why don't we just read the Bible if that's the case? Um, there's one answer. It's a simple answer for that. The Bible, if you read it, it says one of the key parts of a church is to have somebody teaching the Bible. Bible teaching is a biblical practice that the church is supposed to do. But it doesn't say there's supposed to be motivational speaking uh, in the church. It doesn't talk about that. And I'm saddened. Do we wonder why the church is caving to so many of the worldly kind of things and accepting all this weirdness and godlessness that's not really in the Bible? Well, the reason why the greater church is doing that is because the, the more they get away from Scripture, you know, you just tack a single verse on, you know, once every, you know, 50-something weeks in a year, just one little verse, you're not really covering any biblical ground there. You're just showing your favorite verses. I think it's a dangerous place that the church has entered where we, we've kind of removed the Bible uh, from a lot of what we, um, what we do in church. Uh, if I could just say, man, pray. Uh, Athey Creek's not better than any other church. We don't think of ourselves more highly than anybody else. It's, it's just, you know, the difference between us and maybe some is we've just realized people are starving for the word of God. Um, if churches would just get back to teaching the Bible, if you're a pastor out there listening and you're wondering why your church is faltering, here's the answer. Give them the word of God. Teach the, I would say, verse by verse. Don't skip a chapter. Don't skip a book. Just go right through the Bible and people all will uh, be filled. You know, the author of Hebrews warned that the, the, you know, the immature believer will just be given to the milk. But uh, he said, you guys should have been way past the milk. You, you're nursing babies when you should be having a ribeye steak. He says, you should be eating meat. Um, I love that analogy. It's a, and sadly, there's churches still doing the milk thing and they're wondering why their people are starving. Um, Hebrews chapter two, uh, verse one, reminds us about this. It says, therefore, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Some of your newer translations, or if you look in the original language, it's like, lest we let them leak out like a leaking vessel. That's the language of this verse. In other words, you're a vessel and when you pour the word in, we're leaking. So you gotta just keep pouring in the word and take more earnest heed, give greater uh, attendance to uh, the word of God. It's faith. 
came by hearing. And what did he hear? Well, it tells us here in our text. It says there, um, and when he, verse 47, had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. Now, there's evidence that this guy knew more of Jesus of Nazareth than maybe some. The evidence is what he called Jesus. He said, Jesus, thou son of David, question, quiz time, for a guy to call Jesus, Jesus the son of David, what is he implying or inferring by that? Anybody? He's the Messiah. Like, like this guy's ahead of the game. How did he get that? I, again, would say he somehow heard the word that Jesus was in town and that he was the son of David, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Um, this guy was ahead of the game because his faith came by hearing. That's the same way your faith will be built. Your faith won't be built by trying harder or being a better person. Your faith will be built by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So uh, I, I'd commend you to just keep sticking to the word, not just here at AFI, but in your own personal time. Read the word, make it a major part of your life. So his faith came by hearing. Number two, his hope came by crying. Crying out to the Lord. The psalmist David, hear my cry, Psalm 61, verse one. Hear my cry, O Lord, attend unto my prayer. He cried out to the Lord. This poor man cried, as we read earlier. David was a guy who cried out to the Lord. When was the last time you cried out to the Lord for help? Um, here's the problem with many of us, is we don't think our problems are big enough to really cry out to the Lord. Oh, that's such a Jewish thing over there. They get all emotional about everything. Oh, you know, crying out to the Lord. Uh, but I wonder, what I've found for us is we often cry out to the Lord way too late. We cry out to the Lord when we do the American version of crying out, and that's when you have to be pretty desperate by that time. I wonder if we should cry out a little earlier than we do, um, because the Bible kind of tells us that we need to just ask and seek and knock. Um, you have two choices. You can cry out today, or you can wait and be totally broken and cry out later. It's your choice. The Lord will still hear you when you cry out to the Lord. But I wonder if maybe you should cry out to the Lord more frequently and and what does it mean to cry out? Um, it can look different. It doesn't have to be some big emotion necessarily. But, you know, it's amazing how quickly can turn a person's life around. Look at this man, Blind Bart. He cries out to the Lord and the Lord hears him. Um, and the blind beggar, this is his last hope. Um, now think about it. Like we tend to rationalize, well, my problems aren't big enough and the Lord doesn't care about me. And I, but don't you think that's what the blind beggar could have rationalized? Don't forget beggars that were blind in Bible times. The people of that culture thought, oh, he must have done something wrong. What a loser. He's blind because he must have sinned or maybe his parents sinned, so he deserves what he gets. That was their worldview of the time. So this poor blind beggar, people would have just dismissed him. I'm sure we even see them shushing him. They're saying, ah, knock it off. Don't bother the rabbi. Come on, just get over there. That's what they tell him because that was their attitude. That would have been his life, being rejected, forgotten, nobody caring about him. And now he's crying out to Jesus, the son of David. And, and there would be a temptation, don't you think, to think, oh, he he's not gonna care about a blind beggar on the side of the street in Jericho. And, and also Jesus, you know, he's a busy man. Why was Jesus going through Jericho? Well, that's an easy one. I've been through Jericho a few times. It's kind of a tricky thing because it's a Palestinian-run area and Arabs kind of control the city of Jericho today. And it's not super friendly. If you're just going there by yourself as an American tourist, it's a little bit shaky, sketchy. 
Um, I usually go with my buddy Munir. I've got a, a guy who's a friend of mine who can kind of get anywhere, and he's an Arab guy. And when I'm with Munir, they treat me like gold in there in the town of Jericho. But uh, it's kind of a different kind of thing there in Jericho. Uh, same thing, Jesus, Jericho was just a town that you stop by to go up to Jerusalem. Jericho's down you know, below sea level. Um, but when you stop at Jericho, you're about ready to ascend the mountains, the mountains of Israel, which is the West Bank, and you're going up over 3,000 feet in elevation to get to Jerusalem. It's quite a little hike. And Jesus, he's just going through, that's why he says he comes to Jericho and he leaves Jericho because that's just a rest stop to go to Jerusalem. What's Jesus going to Jerusalem for? To go to the cross, to die for the sins of the world. He's got busy things to do. He's got to save the world. So what does this blind beggar got that Jesus would care? But one of the things I love about Jesus is he always cares and he always shows compassion. And even the person that might think Jesus wouldn't care about them, maybe that's you. Oh, there's 8 billion people on the planet. How could Jesus, how could the Lord care about me at all? Well, the answer is he does. And God's love for you is so profound. You know, it's funny how we tend to focus on how much we love God and I'm supposed to love God and I love you, Lord. We sing worship, I love you, I love you, and all this stuff. But um, I, I think we sometimes forget the most important thing is not that you love him, it's the, that he loves you. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way, I thought this was great. C.S. Lewis said, said, on the whole, God's love for us is a much safer subject to think about than our love for him. I think that's true. He was right. Um, and so this guy, he has hope because he's crying out to the one who has compassion. Um, I hope you know that your hope can come by crying, by crying. Um, and that brings us to number three on the list. His answer came after persisting. God rewards persistency. That's something the Bible does teach. Notice this guy's enthusiasm that he has. He's got enthusiasm. We see it in many different ways. Even when everybody tried to discourage him, hey, knock it off, be quiet, go sit over there and beg. Uh, when they were, when they were you know, pushing him aside and telling him to shut his mouth, um, he was not discouraged. He pressed in. It says, it says there, he pressed in all the more. You know, when they, when they said, when he, you know, they charged him to hold his peace. He, it says he cried the more a great deal. So he takes it to the next level. That's persistency. And the Lord does seem to reward that. Um, this idea of persistency, what about Genesis 32, verses 24 through 29, where Jacob, the, you know, the tricky, deceitful man, he wrestles with God. How long does he wrestle with the Lord there? All night, for you that wrestle or do jujitsu, rolling for 12 hours uh, through the night, uh, you're gonna gas out at that point, especially having your hip pulled out of socket. Uh, that's a problem, but he just kept going. Um, but the Lord does, and he just, he says, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. And so the Lord, by persistency, the Lord blesses Jacob, changes his name from deceitful one, heel snatcher, to um, Israel, which means governed by God. The Lord blessed him for his persistency. Luke 11, chapter 11, verses five through 10. Remember that story about the friend that was knocking on the door for bread? And the friend had to get up out of bed, but he, he didn't want to get out of bed. In those days, you'd have to get out of bed, step over your goats and your children, and, you know, and then get out. Like, what a pain. But this guy just kept knocking, and the friend finally comes and gives him bread because he was persistent. That was the point of that story. Or in Luke 18, remember I talked about this a few weeks ago, the unjust judge of Luke 18, 
where the woman had a, a need and she kept going to this unjust judge over and over. And finally, he's just like, oh, I'm so tired of this lady. Just give her what she wants so she'll go away. And then the Lord says, if that's the unjust judge, how much more will I, implication, the God who loves you and cares about you, uh, help meet your need? That was the point of Luke uh, chapter 18. Um, Luke chapter 11, verse nine, and also in Matthew's gospel, the Lord reminds us and he says, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. In the Greek language, that you could read it this way because it's, um, you know, the tense used is a continual action. You could say it should read technically, keep on asking um, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and it'll door. It's, it means to be persistently seeking, asking, knocking. And God rewards persistency. Um, a common thing we see in nature is this, uh, this thing of the path of least resistance. To just go with the flow, that, that's, that's the way humanity is. We see it in nature, we see it in electricity. If you know electricity, uh, electricity moving through a circuit will always travel of the easiest route. That's why it's dangerous. Um, rivers, rivers always travel the easiest route. Uh, you don't see a river flowing up Mount Hood. That's not an easy route. Wherever the lowest and easiest flow, that's the path of least resistance. We try to build cars that have aerodynamic qualities uh, that's less resistant so that we can save gas or maybe be faster, which is better if you ask me. <laughs> faster is better. Um, but frequently people are just like that. It's easier to sit in front of a TV and be a, vet, a veggie, you know, couch, couch potato um, and veg out in front of the TV than to get up and go to your neighbor and do something loving, mow his lawn or take out his trash or put his trash bins back, you know, or, or whatever, do, doing something loving or kind. It's easier to get angry at your wife or your husband and stay angry and let it smolder for several days and just kind of be silent and give them the silent treatment. That's easier than getting together and putting your heads together and pray and work at solving and uh, get it working the problem through. It's easier to just kind of flip through your iPhone and look at you know, uh, you know, your uh, Instagram, your, your uh, social media, uh, uh, slice up some fruit, uh, do all the things you do with your iPhone, than to sit down with your Bible and study deeply and intensely the word of God. Like the, the humans like the path of least resistance and, uh, and yet there's one difference between a river and electricity and you, and that is um, the, the river of electricity will never have to stand before God and be accountable for how they use their time. We will. And the idea of persistency, um, perhaps we should incline ourselves rather than finding the path of least resistance, which is human nature, but I would say maybe change your worldview and, and look for the path of the greatest persistence, because that's not always easy. The greatest persistence is what you should probably shoot for instead of, instead of just, the, you know, any dead fish can go with the flow. But you and I are called, I think, to swim upstream as Christians and to do something different. Many people have a huge problem. Why should I have to keep asking? Why does God make me keep knocking? And I don't know if I like this. I'm not sure I know the answer why God makes you ask over and over again. Maybe there's multiple reasons. Maybe it's, he just wants to spend more time with you. If you're a parent, you know the problem with just giving your kids what they ask for every single time. That would be making your child into a spoiled little brat. Some of you are looking puzzled right now. <laughs> um, yeah, 
it'd be horrible if you gave your kids everything they wanted. In fact, sometimes parents, you could give them what they wanted, but you choose not to because they need to learn to appreciate and they need to learn that things just don't always come easy that way. And, 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 you, and sometimes you just want your kids to kind of hang out with you rather than just run off with whatever you give them. Um, I think the Lord has the same heart for you. And so I think he enjoys the persistency just to, to, to um, cultivate your relationship with him. And then also to put your trust in the Lord, even when you don't see the results. Um, I love this man persisting. Even though the crowd told him to knock it off, shut your mouth, he persisted all the more. That's a good quality for a good, solid Christian. So his faith came by hearing, his hope came by crying, his answer came after persisting. Number four, his help came after jumping. Brad, I don't see him jumping here. Where do you see jumping? Well, it's, it's in the Greek. Uh, let me show you. This is a great a little, little word here um, where it says there um, in verse 50, um, it says, and he casting away his garment rose and came to Jesus. Um, the word there rose uh, is uh, this Greek word anistomy, uh, which uh, means to leap up or to literally spring up. Boing, boing, boing. This guy just boing, jumps up. Like there's an energy. And not only does he jump up, but he throws off, he casts off his garments. There's kind of this sort of burst, if you could picture in your mind's eye, of this guy, he just springs to his feet, throws off his garden and bolts to Jesus. I love this guy's enthusiasm. Um, are you an enthusiastic person? Uh, no, Brett, I'm really chill. Well, that's cool, we do like chill, but that's something I worry about here at Athey Creek sometimes. I think I was permanently marked uh, as thinking, oh man, you know, I mention this all the time, like, um, you know, the church in Africa, when I was worshiping the Lord with them, the energy and the, just the, the, the intensity of these brothers that I was at this pastor's conference and I was just like, Lord, do we even know what worship is in America? Like, I literally had to kind of wrestle with that. And I realize we're culturally different and, and that we have different proclivities and like different things, and I get that. Um, and Lord, he totally honors that, uh, I think. And so we do worship and stuff in our American way. But oh man, God forbid you, Athey Creekers, are a bunch of chosen frozen. <laughs> you know, the band comes out here to lead worship. They're not here to perform. I hope you know that. Um, they're here to try to encourage you to sing along with them and bless the Lord. When they're singing, they're not saying, look at us. We're all trying to say, look at him. And you say, well, I, you know, are you one of those people just kind of come, oh, it's a kind of interesting worship set this morning. <laughs> oh, they have a cello this morning. <laughs> if you have a cello, you can turn it sideways. And cello, you got a bass. Hmm. Like, are you just a person that sits there and thinks about stuff? And, but the last thing on your mind is worshiping the Lord. I hope not. I hope you're not. It looks like some of you are doing that. Um, some of you are trying to multitask, looking at your iPhones, you know, and, and looking at properties and stuff while worship is going. I, I see that when I walk around in the sanctuary. Um, and it's a little disheartening as a pastor. Part of me wants to come and take your iPhone and want to say, worship God. But that probably wouldn't be the, <laughs> probably wouldn't be the best practice, um, nor would it be effective. <laughs> I'll leave the church if you do that. Well, that might be helpful. Uh, I'm just, just kidding, just joking. Um, you know, uh, being a chilled out person is okay, but it's, it's, it's important to remember what the Bible says in Colossians 3.23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Um, when you come to church, if there's ever a time to do something heartily, it's church. 
to come to church with a hearty uh, desire to worship the Lord, to sing songs, to make a joyful noise, and to do it enthusiastically. The word enthusiasm has a great entomology. You know, it comes from the Greek, um, entheos. Uh, it's an interesting Greek word. Um, it's not as much the definition, to, uh, you know, um, of entheos, but that's where our word enthusiasm comes from, entheos. But if you break down the word, it means in God. Um, and I think that's cool. When, when a person has Christ in you or you are in Christ Jesus, we should have a different level of enthusiasm toward the Lord. And I love that word enthusiasm. And I hope that marks Athe Greek. I hope when you come that you enthusiastically sing and lift up your voices and, and lift up your hands. The Bible says, you know, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Um, to sing out with a loud voice. Well, oh, Brett, I noticed it was a little loud when worship... Um, can I just remind you guys um, about loud stuff? Um, the older you get, not only do your eyes go, as I mentioned earlier, but your ears also start to go. Have you ever heard an old timer, that sounds like noise. And can I just say, it does to you, because your ears are shot. Man, you've been using a skill saw and a chainsaw and you know, running machinery. Uh, you're, you're pretty much deaf, so it sounds like noise to you. Uh, but to young people, it still sounds nice. Uh, so stop being an old crotchety person. Get earplugs and uh, just join the crowd and worship the Lord. I, I, we have old people at Athey that are like that, man. We, we'll bring our little earplugs, but man, we're just gonna worship and sing out. Um, I understand for some people, it sounds like noise. Now, by the way, uh, in defense of our sound booth back there, don't go back there and say, it's loud in here. They get that from time to time. We know exactly how loud it is in here. We check the decibel levels, uh, not because we care as much about decibel levels, but we wanna have an answer. We can show you the sheet. Uh, here's our decibel levels over here in this corner, in that corner, over on this side, in the front row. Here's the decibel levels every service, every Sunday. Um, and, and by the way, we know what the safe parameters are and if you have a certain exposure for a certain amount of time. Like we know the science behind decibels more than most people. Um, and you're well within safe category. People say, you're damaging our ears. Nope, your ears are just damaged, sorry. <laughs> it sounds like noise to you. Um, uh, you know, remember what the Bible says. Again, we don't care what you have to say as much as we care as what the Bible says. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. I, I know I'm harping here on enthusiasm a little bit, but um, I love the enthusiasm of this guy. He springs to his feet, throws off his garments and runs to Jesus, even though people are telling him to be silent and just go sit down over in the corner. This guy has enthusiasm and that's what Jesus um, uh, blesses. I love that. Um, and by the way, this idea of casting away his garment, that's something... I think there's a, there's a scripture in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. It says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That is, cast off your pajamas, your night clothes, and put on an armor of light. Um, and do this with enthusiasm. It's high time you wake up out of sleep, you sleeper. That's what the Romans is saying. And then he goes on in the next verse there, in verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness, chambering or wantonness, not in strife or envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to, to fulfill the lust thereof. Wow, this is a powerful challenge by Paul the apostle to the Roman church, to us, to cast off those clothes of darkness 
and to spring up and rise up. That, that's the same thing this blind beggar does. And he does it with an entheos, enthusiasm. Um, by the way, you know, before you can, uh, this, this reminds us, you gotta cast off the, the uh, ugly, sinful stuff before the Lord can fill you up with the good stuff. Um, and I love the picture of black, uh, blind Bartimaeus, how he throws off the garments and he springs up, even though he's a blind man and he runs to Jesus. It reminds me of Hebrews 12, one, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so doth easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Blind Bart, his faith came by hearing, his hope came by crying, his answer came after persisting and his help came after jumping. Number five is healing came by asking. Now this might seem obvious, but sometimes things are so obvious that we miss them. Have you ever noticed that? Um, have you ever, you know, have you ever, have you ever been guilty of, you know, trying to figure out why something's not working and then some smart aleck person comes and says, pulls the plug and says, you have to plug it in. You know, something like that. Have you ever been caught in that? You're like, oh, not the whole plug it in. I, you know, calling tech support. Uh, now find the black wire coming out of the back of the computer. Um, now you need to make sure that's plugged in. You're like, duh, you're looking at, oh, never mind. I don't need you anymore. <laughs> I figured it out. Uh, you know, um, uh, this is one of those moments. Have you asked? See, the problem, you know, the, the, you know, we already talked about Jesus telling us, ask and it shall be given. Remember, keep on asking and it shall be given to you. James 4, 2 says, you know, you have not because you ask not. This is the plug in thing. Have you, have you asked the Lord? See, the problem is, a mistake we can make is thinking we've let our request be made known to the Lord when really all we've done is talk to our spouse or our therapist or our friends about our needs or your mommy or whoever, your buddy. Like you've talked to everybody else, but you really haven't just on your knees cried out to the Lord and asked the Lord for help. And that's where as a Bible counselor, I might say, did you plug it in? Did you, did you actually ask? I've actually had times where I've said, man, you've talked to me, you've talked to your wife, you've talked to these people and you got counsel here and there, but have you just simply asked of the Lord the needs that you're talking about? Um, and, and I know it goes without saying, but Jesus is the source of help and this guy, um, by the way, did you notice that Jesus gave him the opportunity to ask? That's kind of an interesting thing. Um, did Jesus know what this man's need was? I would say it's safe to guess that because everybody in town knew what the man's need was. He was the blind beggar sitting on this blind Bart. Um, um, but Jesus gives this opportunity to this guy. Why? I think the Lord wants us to ask. What is it that you want me to do? That I might receive my sight, he asks. I wonder if the Lord's standing in front of you saying, what is it that you want me to do? And you're like, crickets, tumbleweeds blowing across your life, silence. And the Lord's saying, okay, ask and you shall receive. Um, you have not because you're asked not. So his healing came by asking. Last point, number six, his life was changed by following. One of the things I wanna remind you of is all these people Jesus heals, especially the ones that get more press here in the gospels, did you notice that healing often is accompanied by, and we've seen this, let's, let's, let's see if you remember, oftentimes Jesus doesn't wanna just heal a person, he wants to make a person whole. Um, we're seeing that as a pattern. Uh, remember the woman with the issue of blood? He healed her and the, uh, she touched him and she was healed. She could have left the end of the story, but Jesus turned around, hey, who touched me? And then Jesus would talk to her and find out more and then he would say, go your way and, and, and he made her whole. There's a difference between just being healed versus being whole. 
Uh, remember the guy that was lowered through the roof? Um, everybody wanted to see if he would heal his crippled condition. But Jesus knows what makes this man whole is that he have his sins forgiven. So the first thing Jesus says is, son, your sins are forgiven. And the people are all critical. Oh, well, if he, it's easy to forgive somebody's sins, but to make somebody, he says, well, you guys that are thinking that, just to know that I have the power to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. And the guy gets healed. Um, I think Jesus, if you could say, is more interested in making a person whole than, than even having them healed. That's kind of an important thing, by the way. Um, so Jesus uh, wants, you know, we recognize the beauty of the, the physical healing. That's awesome. But the Lord wants to take it further um, and make him whole. And that's what, you know, that's what happens here in our text. Um, what will thou do to me, uh, do to thee? And he says, I, I receive my sight. And then he says, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. I love that about Brian, Blind Bart. He, he's one of those great believers that had faith with, with all that energy and he comes to Jesus. And not only was he healed of his blindness, but he also walked away whole. But he doesn't really even walk away. I love that he became a follower of Jesus. That's the same thing as one of the disciples. The, the people that were followers of Jesus were the greater group of disciples of Jesus. You know, you might be a person who's, you know, gone to church nominally. Maybe somebody dragged you here to church or you're watching online and you're kind of wondering what the whole Christian thing's about. And, but, um, you know, we could talk about your finances and all the things about your life and stuff, but the main thing you need to do is to be made whole. And the way you make yourself whole is, well, it's kind of impossible for you to do it. But Jesus reaches to you like he does this guy and he wants you to be a follower. He doesn't want your just blindness to be healed. He wants you to be made whole, saved, going to heaven, not going to hell. What's the difference? We're all sinners. We all deserve death and hell. That's what the Bible says. And hell is eternal. When you read the Bible, it's an eternal condition. Not a good thing. Well, Brad, I like to think that if uh, God is love, he won't send people to hell. You can like to think that till you're blue in the face, but it doesn't make it true. Um, it's such a false statement. Um, God doesn't send you to hell. You did that. You were really good at sending yourself to hell. And so was I. We all did it. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. No one's righteous. God, it's like on the road to hell. Everybody's going there. It's, it's the path of least resistance. And then God sees you and he'll throw out the life preserver to pull you in and say, I wanna save you. In fact, the Bible says, I would that none should perish, that everyone would have eternal life. So God wants everyone to be saved. But as it turns out, you have a decision to make. Are you gonna accept the work of Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the grave? His raising from the grave is what makes it believable. Um, if Jesus didn't raise up from the grave, he would've just been some guy who died on a cross thousands of years ago, whatever. But Jesus said, this is the one sign I'll show you that if you crucify this body, three days later, I'll raise up from the grave. And hundreds of people saw him after he was crucified on the cross. That's why the world was turned upside down from that day forward. And it's, it's up to you whether you wanna stay in blind, spiritual blindness and say, yeah, I just like to think of God as a, more of a sense of an aura and, and if he's love, he's gonna send me to heaven. That's just you liking to think stuff that's just not true. The Bible is the authority, not me. The Bible is the authority. It says this, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, you'll be saved. It's just that simple because Jesus did all the work. That's why he said, it is finished. So that's the main thing. If you wanna be truly healed and made whole, you gotta first accept Christ. How do you do that? I just told you. You can do that right here, right now, watching online, you can do that. You can confess your faith and say, okay, Lord, I'm a sinner, acknowledging your sin and repent. That's the word repentance. It means to change your mind about your sin. 
and repent and say, okay, I'm a sinner and I confess you as my savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave. If you pray that, just between you and the Lord, you'll be saved. Now, if you're a Christian, you know the beauty of that gospel message. Because those of you that have accepted Christ in that fashion, you know that it's powerful and that God is mighty to save and that Jesus will forgive your sins. And that's a reason to celebrate. And that's why Jesus reminded you and me as Christians to do the act of communion often in remembrance of him.